was quite, quite encouraging to me as we're singing that song um, that Wombat was. He didn't know what week we were speaking on and got all the songs for creation. That worked out great. But even more so, um, this song, I, I didn't know what he's preparing. It talks about the mystery. And I was look, singing and looking down at my paper, and, and that's the first word I have down is mystery. And, um, and with that, with creation, uh, just to be honest, th- there is a mystery there. There's more than we can even imagine, take in uh, to our finite minds. And so um, I have a great challenge tonight uh, to kind of walk through this doctrine itself, um, the doctrine of creation. And, um, and so this mystery, um, and obviously we'll be at some point getting into the uh, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, but... Um, <laughs> This mystery itself uh, has become even more evident to me um, of the in-house debate in Christianity. When I say in-house debate within believers uh, that are, are, they love Jesus, uh, they hold to the word strongly. But there is an in-house debate among Christian brothers and sisters um, about the how God created. Um, I don't think there's any debate, uh, and there should be no debate, on who created. Um, it was God himself um, who spoke uh, this universe into existence, as we'll see in, in the first verse. But um, I've had the opportunity to be involved in a Bible study, just kind of living in this uh, first two chapters of Genesis for about a month, and, and that, that, that debate on how is just so evident when you sit in a room of believers. So um, we'll do our best to walk through this, kind of outline some of, of the mystery. Um, my hope is that we will, as a church, we'll see what... Um, are truths we need to hold closely to and not waver on, but also see views that uh, we can have mercy and grace with our brothers and sisters of Christ that might take a different view than we do and specifically of the how of creation. So before we really jump into that, um, I just want to remind us a little bit uh, of a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. If you take a look at it before we start in Genesis. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 12. This talks about here um, when Christ returns uh, to gather us to himself. Um, Verse 10 talks about, but when the perfect one comes, the partial will pass away. But I really want to focus here on verse 12. It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as as I have been fully known. So the point I want to make there is that there is a mystery. There are certain parts, uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 29, I believe verse 29 talks about there's secret things of God as his. But uh, what I want to go through tonight is show you what God has revealed to us through his word, and that's what we can really hold on to. So I hope... um, we don't have a pride in us that we, we know this mystery. We have it nailed down. Um, and really that pride itself is what fuels those outside of Christ to really, uh, it really fuels their, uh, their passion to have this knowledge that they can figure this all out without God and try to write God out of the story. Um, so um, still trying to build a foundation before we jump into the actual text so um, the who, like I said, in the debate of Christianity is, is, is not a really debate. It's God. God created. Um, but let's look at the purpose of creation for a second. I mean, why did God create? What is the purpose of the creation? And really, as you look at creation, the pinnacle being humanity, um, why did God create man? And it's ultimately for his glory. Uh, it should be a point to him. Uh, the chief, if, chief end of man is to glorify God and, and to, to enjoy him. Uh, forever. Um, and then you take a look at the creation. Now go look at the Bible. I mean, why do we have the Bible? And the Bible itself is the written word of God to reveal to us God, the creator of the heavens and earth, and thus bringing him glory as we see his true self, as he, he reveals himself. Um, St. Augustine uh, ha- has a quote. It says, the Bible is not a scientific <laughs> textbook seeking to answer the ever-changing inquiries of science, but rather a theological textbook seeking to reveal God and the means by which he saves us. So so part of this is we've got to understand what the Bible 
the purpose of the Bible, what it's trying to communicate to us. It's not going to answer every single question that might come up about creation, but it is going to reveal to us God himself and thus us glorifying God. Um, so looking, so Bible as a whole, now let's look at Genesis. I mean, the, the book of Genesis. What's the, as, we, as you turn there, um, the purpose of Genesis. And in itself, I mean, it really sets the foundation of really all the theology. Um, so really all the major doctrines had their roots in Genesis from sovereign election to salvation, justification by faith, um, the redemption of Jesus Christ for us. Um, but also to note, the false philosophies are also answered in the book of Genesis, if you closely take a look. For example, atheism claims there's no God, but uh, we see from the beginning, Genesis asserts that all creation is by God. Uh, pantheism says that God is everything, but Genesis uh, clearly teaches that God is um, that God is transcendent and distinguishable from his creation. Uh, polytheism claims there are many gods. We see... Uh, as Randy walked through the Trinity and, and going through that, um, that really there's one God that exists in three persons. Um, uh, materialism claims that the universe is eternal, um, but we see that, that God, uh, in Genesis, that even matter had a beginning. Um, and evolution claims that everything evolved gradu gradually, but Genesis asserts God created all things. And so the last point I want to make before we finally jump in this text, I'm kind of like, wait, wait, when are we going to get there? Is that science and Christianity are not a conflict. Um, a, any proven fact of science matches up with Scripture and what the Bible teaches. Now, there's a lot of theories, theories of origins, theories, a lot of different things that are, are that theories. They're not true fact that, that, that might differ from Scripture. But... Really, for us as believers, that we should not be um, afraid of what uh, science is going to find out or what it's going to discover, because we know that all genuine truth discoveries are just going to point us to God. It's just going to further our uh, knowledge of Him and then produce worship and just how amazing He is. So, you know, kind of putting that in another way is that, you know, Discovery Channel is not going to run a special that just blows us up. You know, it's like, like, oh, you know, I'm not going to be watching Discovery Channel and just see something and say, you know, call Randy up and say, look, man, I'm out. This is just might as well pack this stuff up. I mean, it's over with. Um, so just going to that, I mean, we really should um, look at science in a way that just reveals God to us and just give him the glory for what he's, he's shown us and what he's allowed us to discover about him and how, how he's made it. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of their depth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So, just those two verses, really starting at the first verse. If you can really embrace and accept this verse for faith value and what it says, you're not really going to have a lot of questions or doubts or problems that arise with the following verses. But if you don't line up on this first verse, that God created the heavens and earth, and, and it was in the beginning, then you are going to have some struggles. And so let's look particularly at some of these words and dig in a little bit more. So in the beginning... Um, in the beginning speaks of kind of an inauguration period. It's a time period, um, a space where, where the Lord um, did his work. Um, this creation of heavens and earth is concrete. It's historical. Um, it's a scientific fact. Um, the text really itself, I mean, the, the thing is, it just doesn't say exactly when the beginning began. It just said it was in the beginning. Um, so uh, it, we do know that it was before... Uh, the following verses, when God really took the earth and, and transformed it and, and created it for, for humanity. Um, so really, if you look at first one, um, and we'll kind of get into some of the views as we, as we go along in this talk. I mean, verse one really opens the door in the beginning, kind of opens the door for a young earth or an old earth. You know, it just opens there. It doesn't specifically say, you know, it started on this date. Just know it's a time period in the beginning. 
And the second uh, word or phrase to really kind of hold on to is God created. So this word um, is called bara, and it is it's a it's, it means to create out of nothing, and out of nothing it's ex nihilo. And so these are very important words for us because you know, only God can do that. Only God can create out of nothing. He didn't take what was there and transform it. I mean, when we go through Scripture, we see that, yeah, he talks about transforming things in other parts. But here specifically in verse 1, and actually some other verses I'll hit in a second, that he talks about him creating out of nothing. Um, and that's really quite different than... than and shaping something or forming it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot different from creating or, or, or speaking into existence clay than actually taking clay and making a little bird's nest out of it and some little eggs and put in there and, and forming something. I mean, that's about as far as I got in pottery is just to make that little bird's nest of eggs in it. But there's a big difference there between the actual the making up of clay and then actually transforming clay into something. So... Um, we see, talking about, um, we see that it's done in the sphere of light, um, creation of matter uh, in verse 1. Um, it's also used in verse 21 uh, in the sphere of life, talking about living creatures. And then thirdly, um, about humanity in verse 27. Um, so another um, kind of key phrase of this first two verses I wanted to really hit um, was uh, that the earth was without form and void. So without form and void. And in the reading of this work, if you look at the original language, is tohu vabohu. And really there's a, kind of a, yeah, it's kind of rhymes. That's kind of cool to say, isn't it? Um, and so, uh, you know, if you, if you really look at this word, and um, really in the 1800s there was this uh, theologian, Thomas, Ch- I think it's Thomas Chalmers, noticed that there was something kind of just neat, just something kind of hid in there. And he really took this and cross-referenced it to Isaiah 45, verse 18. So if you'd like to turn there, we'll read that before I continue talking about this tohu bohu. Isaiah 45, verse 18. It says, For, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens... He is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. And so what's kind of hidden in this this verse is this, that he created it. um, He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. Well, kind of, if we keep reading through Scripture, that kind of sounds like there there was a creation... And then maybe something happened, and it was then it was void um, and, and formless. And really, if you if you start digging around in the original language and and really start doing some heavy lifting, in verse two, there's an alternate that basically what he discovered and what he was looking at that there was there could be an alternate translation to verse two. And so instead of saying the earth was without form and void, it could say, but the earth became without form and void thus leaving us a gap of time between verse 1 and verse 2. And this really leads to what is called the gap theory, um, and we'll talk about that a little more as we get into the different views. Um, but I just wanted to lay the groundwork there. So we got verse 1, we got the possibility, it leaves the door open a little bit. We got verse 2, we got the, the door open a little bit of old earth versus young earth. Um, yeah, some of them, yeah. Tohu, babohu. Um, yeah. It's kind of like Doc's eye. You know, however, it's just however it comes out. Just roll with it. Uh, um, <laughs> so I'm going to recap verses 1 and 2, and then if you would uh, be so kind, I, I would like to really read this chapter, um, and then we'll kind of I'll summarize some of the days. Um, I think we have time to do that. And, and like me going back and studying the Scripture again, it's just always amazing you know, I've been like I said, I've been living in this passage for a couple months in a different Bible study, and just how God just continues to just open your eyes to Scripture and reveal stuff to you. So uh, my prayer is, this, even reading through that, God is going to do that tonight for you. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the depth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. 
And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it be separated the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters, and were under the expanse from the waters that there were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were created together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in it, which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons, signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and, the, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And, it, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so... And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the, every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is in the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God said everything that he has made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So, as we move, as we read that... The, the, the narrative here from verses 3 to 31, um, we see a set pattern. God makes an announcement, and God said. Then we see he makes a commandment, let there be. He makes a report, and it was so, and then an evaluation, and it was good. And on the sixth day, it was very good. So we also see, to kind of summarize back on these days, on day one, um, God created light. He separated day and night. On day two, he made the, the sky and the waters. Um, day three, on the, he, he draw, drew the land together and produced vegetation. On day four, we see the sun, moon, and stars. On day five, we have sea creatures and the birds. And on day six, we have land creatures and man. Um, 
So as, as I read this, and, and as you just look down on your page and think about what we read, um, what is the key word, if I'm going to go one word through this, what jumps off the page? Specifically, God. Um, and we see that God is repeated 32 times through this chapter. And so we see God created, He said, He called, He made, and He blessed. Um, so, really, what does that mean for us? I mean, what, what does that leave us to the question? I mean, what does that reveal to us about God? Um, and what I'd like to do now, I've got some points about, you know, trying to keep the focus on God. And, and that's what where our focus should be. It's so easy when you get started to digging into this, you can lose sight and, 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 and get into issues and debates within our own, with, between brothers and sisters in Christ or outside of, and with science. But I really wanted to take the time to read the scripture and then kind of reflect on what, what God is revealing about himself through it. And um, two weeks ago, Randy covered the first point, that God is Trinitarian. Um, in verse 1, we see uh, the, the word for God here is Elohim which is plural, um, and then also in verse 26, it's, uh, we see that God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Um, so therefore, referencing or, or pointing us to, the, to that we have a triune God. Um, we see from, from this uh, Genesis account that God is, is eternal. Uh, he's always existed, uh, unlike creation. Uh, creation had a beginning, um, and science, science lines up with that now, you know, uh, they see that, that, that yeah, uh, there was a, be, a beginning. Uh, most scientists some point, point to the Big Bang Theory, um, but there's, there's no doubt uh, really within science about uh, creation itself not being eternal, but we see God is eternal. Um, we see that God is living. Um, you know, life doesn't spring up from an it that is not living and not loving. Um, and if you, if you really take and look at on the sixth day of creation, and, and um, Wombat was praying for us as we, we started, he's talking about breathing in life. And that's what we see, that God breathed his life into creation. Um, and so that, that points to, that, uh, that we serve a living God. Um, uh, we see God is independent. He's not, uh, he's not um, in need or in lack. He lacks anything. Um, he doesn't depend on anyone or, or, or anything. Um, and really, that truth itself is, is something we can really hold on to and, and celebrate because that means that, that he alone can love us uh, purely. Uh, he doesn't need us. Um, his interaction with us is pure. There's, there's no alternative motive. Most of the time when we deal with people, there's always a part of us. There's an alternative motive. But with God, because he really doesn't need us, um, uh, and he's not lacking anything, you know. He didn't. He didn't create the earth because he was lonely. As, as Randy walked through the, the, the Trinity and this dance they had together, and how it, it was perfect in themselves. And uh, um, so, going back to just you know how we should celebrate that he does love us, and that there is a pure motive there. Um, God is transcendent. Um, God is. He is separate from his creation. He is imminent. Um, that means that he is actively working. In his creation, we see that um, that he works through these six days. He's involved in creation. Uh, he didn't just start the start the will and step back. Um, he's personal. He's powerful. Um, he's beautiful. If you think about creation itself, um, and and it is a reflection of God and His beauty and His majesty and just what we can see on our own eyes on a day living around here on a, maybe an afternoon when the sun going down or early morning when the sun's coming up. Um, it's just a reflection of his beauty. And this next truth, it just makes that, just elevates it even more because God is holy. And so he is without evil. And the original creation was created holy and pure. But now we know that this creation has been, been marred and stained by sin. So even what we see and we just are blown away with has, is, is dim. It's not the true um, beauty in itself. And, and, and we can get blown away from what we see and just think about how elevated that's going to be when it is pure. Um, and we see God's wisdom. You know, if, if, you, if you start thinking about his design 
of the universe from going far out to looking at stars and galaxies and how, how just amazing that is or if you're digging deep into the human body and how it works and how it functions. It's just amazing the wisdom that God had uh, of creating uh, his creation. And, um, and we see that God has a purpose and an order. Um, when, when Jonathan was, was, was discussing this uh, creation account, you know, once you really start wrapping your head around it, you think, why six days? You know, I mean, it could have been just like that, and it's done. So what's the purpose of that seeing going systematically? And, um, and to me, that, that just points that he is a God of order. Um, he has a design, um, and he creates things in order, and it functions best when we stay in that order, and it goes to us individually. Um, so now that we're grounded in, in who created all things, and, um, and just seeing how amazing he is uh, and how he's all-knowing and all-powerful. Now I feel a little bit more comfortable of, of diving into the waters of how he did it. Um, so really, there, but before I do that, once again, if you would turn to me, uh, turn with me to Job chapter 38, and let's look at verses 2 through 4. Thank you. Turn your attention to me, please, sir. Yes, ma'am. So, um, I wanted us to read this uh, before we start diving into these different views, uh, Christian views of, of creation, just so. If we have any arrogancy about how we stand um, and how we view things, I hope this will kind of clear the air and we can kind of be humble as we walk to this next uh, topic. And so um, here in verse 38, um, I'll, start, this is, I'll start back up at one. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you. And you make it known to me. Where, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. So if anybody wants to go ahead and let me know that they were there when all this happened, um, we can probably skip a little bit and you can come up here and lecture but, or give the talk. But, I mean, the point being is that none of us was there. You know, we, don't, we weren't there and we were relying on God's word and what he's revealed to us um, as we go through this next Next section. So, um, there's really six main views of creation when it comes within Christianity itself. Um, and I have really done my best to boil this down, uh, sift it out, just kind of get it down. So, if you line up on one view, I'm probably not going to hit all the views that you think is supposed to line up in that view or leave something out. So really what I tried to do is just, just really trying to just boil it down as best I could as we discuss it. Um, so first is historic creationism. Um, and really, I tried to follow a pattern like what did the first two verses, uh, how they line up on the first two verses of creation, and then how they look at the verse, verses 3 through 31. And so historic creationism says that basically how they line up is that what God created in verse 1 existed from an undefined period of time, going back to that, we're talking about in the beginning, being inauguration period. Um, but they do see verses 3 through 31 as six literal 24-hour days. So then that kind of leaves them open that verse 1 could have a little bit of old earth going on. And then when you get to verse, uh, verses 3 through 31, it's, it's six literal days. Um, they're in succession. And, um, and so that's how they kind of they fall. Um, then you have young earth creationism. Um, they see that verses 1 and 2 is really just a summary of what God then gives in detail in 3 through 31. Um, and they also hold six little, day, uh, six little 24-hour days. And they really hold to a view that God created um, the universe with age factors built into it. Kind of like God created the earth mature. Um, so that's why it looks old. Um, because God created it that way for us to see that, like light was already in motion when he created it. Um, 
the, the other is the gap theory, which we kind of kind of hit on in the beginning. We're talking about that, that crazy word I'm not going to pronounce again. Um, but verse 1 really explains the first creation. Then there was a catastrophic event um, between that gap period, and, and likely it was the fall of Satan from heaven. Um, and so that kind of destroyed the earth how it was. And then so God then took the time to recreate the earth. And then that they also hold to a six literal day. So when they, God reformed the earth and recreated it, that um, he did it in that six literal 24-hour day. Um, then you have a literary framework view. And really it just, they look at Genesis 1 and 2 as just uh, kind of figurative. Uh, how it doesn't really, it's not taken literal. Um, it's kind of like a more of a topic, and they also don't see that verse, the, the first <coughs> six days are actual 24-hour periods. Um, the day-age day view, um, kind of the same thing, that, that 3 through 31 are six um, s- sequential time periods, kind of like a, a big age, you know, a big span of time. Um, and then the last one is theistic evolution, which they basically believe God kind of was the starting engine, started creation in motion, stepped back, let the evolutionary process start, then he jumped back into the game, breathing life into man, and then kind of jumped back out again. So, um, and there's really problems and issues, um, like I said, with this mystery opening up with all, with all the views. Um, so... What I wanted to do and how I kind of saw it in my mind is just go ahead and first and let's try to knock that in half. All right, so, um, and by that it's kind of the, the divide between the first three and the second three is this 24-hour literal days issue. Um, and there is a great debate within Christianity, but my reading of the word and my study really points to that it is is really not an argument in my book that it really is 24-hour days. Um, because, and, and I'll point to two major things when I, when I say that. And first being that, that each day is numbered uh, in succession. But really what's in there that to me was the big hook when I started studying it again this time is that there was, it says specifically there was evening and there was morning. So this itself is showing that this is a, a day. Um, and then and to kind of back that up, going on top of that, if you look um, at the, uh, on Exodus you turn to Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8. It's talking about uh, God's fourth commandment. And I'll read here, Exodus 20, starting in verse 8. It says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall do you should not do any work, you or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So that if you take a look at the, the original language and, and how a principle of, of looking at Scripture, if you've got to, I guess, interpret Scripture with Scripture, those days line up. And we see here specifically through God's Word here in this verse that He's looking at a week time period, a model for us, a 24-hour little day. So that really, if, if you hold to the conclusion of this 24-hour day period, literal days, then that really knocks out those last three um, viewpoints that, that many Christians do hold, and, and they, can, they can present their arguments on, on different ways, and, and like I said from the beginning, it's, it's an issue that um, we understand there's mercy and grace. I know that I don't have it all nailed down. I wasn't there at the foundation, I mean, like in Job, so um, I'm just doing the best I can from seeing what's written in the Word, and I think as a church, that's our goal, is to hold the Word up high, um, see if we can square up doctrine and, and the Word as best we can. Put it in the fairway and say, this is, this is what we see is proclaimed in God's word. So, um, moving on there. To kind of talk about some the problems uh, as well, you know, with the, the, the three. So, if you look at the first three, historic cre- creationism, 
Young Earth Creationism, and the Gap Theory. There are some, some issues to overcome if you, if, you subscribe, if you subscribe to the Gap Theory itself. Um, the Bible really doesn't speak of two creations. Uh, there's no other place where you can really kind of line up and see where the Bible's talking about two different creations. Um, and then also, in the sixth day, what does God, I guess, for about, what was his evaluation on the sixth day? Remember what it was? It was very good. So looking at that, um, it doesn't really correlate, correlate that, you know, the earth was made and, it was, and things were, it was, was very good. And then it went very bad. And then he made it, you know, then he recreated and made it very good again. It just doesn't really flow uh, once you start digging into that. Um, so those are the different views. Um, and I'm not here to try to claim a stake or put a flag into any of them. Um, but I just wanted to put that before you. I think that's something um, that is important that as we as a church kind of wrestle with individually. Um, because like I said, there's a lot of false doctrines and of false philosophies that spin out of that if you don't really kind of line up in a certain way. Or, or you can make, um, you can kind of disregard stuff and say, oh, I'm not going to hold that very high. But then that's really going to affect and kind of seep in to different areas of theology and, and places where you stand. On God's word. So really, after that, what I wanted to us to talk about is the next question: um, is how do we deal with the, the widespread scientific consensus that the Earth is 4.5 billion years old? Um, so there's a lot of um, solutions offered. We've already talked about some of them. Um, one uh, with the young Earth um, creationism, really looking at Earth was made mature. Um, that it was that's how God created it, uh, to see that it was uh, light was already moving, and, and they, they really point to Adam. I mean, how old was Adam on the sixth day? How old was he? One day. It was one day, but he was mature uh, from a standpoint of being able to uh, have a wife, and the response that he saw from his wife, uh, and then also the trees and the vegetation. I mean. Uh, how long does it take for, if you plant an apple tree, how long does it take for an apple to show up? Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it, it was, he was eating. You know, he said, the garden's there for you to eat from. Um, so, so that's kind of how they, they kind of look at it. Um, there's also a lot of people hold on to uh, the flood um, in Genesis 6 through 9, saying that really it, the flood encompassed the whole earth. And so that changed a lot from a geological standpoint and how we see things and how something we would seem to take millions of years, it, it, you could have it done a lot quicker with that, uh, that process in itself. Um, and, then, and really, I think, uh, those that go back and support the, 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 the last three views that we talked about where it kind of does open the door for an old earth, either the gap theory or the literary framework or a day-age day view, um, looking at it, um, and then, you know, kind of the, as I studied more and more, it's kind of like, the historic creationism is kind of like a hybrid to me, you know, they just kind of leave the door open everywhere, you know, uh, from a standpoint of, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, it could be billions of years, could be a moment, um, but we know that uh, it's a book uh, that, that we are using to go through to kind of ground us, this doctrine book, it goes next into like science, a lot of science facts and, and, and digging in and, and I say that now because really when it comes to science, science doesn't argue how old man is, they argue how old earth is, they pretty much line up the man's you know, roughly probably about 10,000 years old from the stuff they've, they've gathered uh, jumping back up, some of the people that kind of refute what science says is they're looking from everything from a crooked perspective, you know like the science they use is, 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 is not, uh, not sound from a standpoint of um, just break down the molecules and different things and how light's not even consistent based on gravity, like force and time. So it gets kind of, I was like, all right, just kind of read this. Um, so, so we see that there's, that people try to, to, to line up there. Um, but I'll go back and say that the Bible doesn't explicitly say how old the earth is. I mean, it says in the beginning, and that's all we can hold on to, you know? Um, um, from what I've seen from reading of it. You know, some people have taken genealogies and went back and went back and went back, and then 
So you got some people arguing, well, how long were they in the garden? We don't know how long they were in the garden. And, and then you get into all these different arguments. So um, I just say that, it, that there's, there are possibilities out there. There's arguments from these other camps that are, that are probably very well done. And um, so I would just, once again, just as a church and as an individual, just say that, that respect and, and ask somebody to, you know, to, to be willing to listen to their view. Um, and know that there is a mystery involved, and, but I would ask you to um, really try to see how you line up on it. Maybe I've said stuff tonight, you're like, man, that's crazy, I don't line up on that, or, or that sounds kind of interesting. I would really challenge us as a church is to dig into this a little bit as we continue to, to roll out the doctrine piece um, as our foundation. Um, so now I will uh, kind of enter the battle zone between creationism and naturalism. Just jumping in for a second. Then I'm jumping out of the battle. So what's the real difference between creation, creationism and naturalism? And naturalism views creation as merely a product of time, energy, and chance. Um, kind of the poster boys historically for, for naturalists is, is Charles Darwin and his theory of origins. And kind of the modern day poster boy would be Richard Dawkins and all the stuff he's putting out there. Um, so really... But if you start looking into the science, um, naturalism is really starting to wane. It's, the support for naturalism is starting to wane within the science community. Because ultimately, if you start looking at it, there's great leaps of faith um, to hold to that particular view. Um, and, and really, it comes to, to, to the area of macroevolution. Like Microevolution is like within a species that, yeah, God is... And, and it, goes back to me as the point in glory to God that he's created within the species to be able to adapt to their environment. Um, but macroevolution really says that, that nothing made everything and that ascribes to spontaneous, spontaneous generation um, and species changing different, jump. I mean like whole different things jumping around. So if you go back to the creation account, I mean it says it made sea creatures and birds. It's not sea creatures turned into birds that turned into the land animals that turned into man. So, um, and there's, when I saw, talk about that, I mean, there's so much debate on that itself between species and uh, you can dig into there for, forever. Um, so, part of this leap of faith to start off was this, this nothing made everything. Um, uh, that's a leap there. Uh, then also, second, that, that chaos made order. Um, so they think the Big Bang Theory is there's a lot of chaos going on and everything and then all of a sudden, Everything just came into order. Um, so when we talk about God, and I think that's what one thing that points us to, to worship God and just to, to hold him up high, seeing how he has created everything so detailed uh, from a standpoint of the universe itself, where the earth sits so far away from the sun, it's just perfect. So far, the, the carbon monoxide uh, level is just perfect for human life. So everything that God made was perfect. Um, so it's kind of like... Um, Jonathan has used this example, and I, and I read it in my notes. It's, it's credited to someone saying that, you know, it's kind of like believing this, this chaos, like believing like a hurricane or, or, or a tornado went through a junkyard, and all of a sudden a Boeing 747 just popped there and ready to fly. So you're taking something that crazy and just making something so perfect. Um, and then also this leap of faith that, it, that impersonal matter actually made person a, a personal humanity um, and they also look at evolution happen over long periods of time um, and, and a lot of people point that they don't have trans transitional forms in the fossil records so there's no forms of all this jump that I was talking about there's nothing there they don't have evidence for it but really the most concerning if you start digging into this the evolution issue is that the underlying of it is that it's really supports atheism and that they don't want to follow the truth because ultimately every time they start following the truth, it leads to God. Um, and so the one thing I do want to say tonight, and I'm, and I'm getting close to the end, um, is that God doesn't believe in atheists. Um, and, and, and through his word, we can see in Romans that, that, that we can turn there to see why I say that. If you look to the first chapter of Romans,
So I would say from this verse that the atheists do not exist. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In these things, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they do not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they become futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they become fools, and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and of creeping things. Um, so I hope that you see that there that, that God is saying that you know atheists don't exist. That from the creation of the found, of the world, that His attributes, uh, the creation itself, points that He is the Creator. Um, so really, you know, from a from a standpoint of doctrine and walking through this and looking through this, the last part I want to close with: What does this really all mean for Doxa? I mean, what does that mean for us? as believers, as a body of believers, as individuals. Um, and my, my hope through, through walking through this is that you do see that there are some other views maybe you've just kind of written off, said they were crazy, um, and see why maybe our brother or sister might kind of line up on that. Um, and maybe it's kind of sparked you to kind of dig in a little bit and see um, the issues that are out there. Um, but individually... Um, you know, I'd like us to look at a, a few things, just a couple of verses. And really, after just if you can sit before we read this verse and just think about what we've been talking about, about what God actually made and how vast it is and how amazing he did it and, and the, the perfectness of the, the whole universe and, and how he, he did it and he just spoke it. And as we walk through reading it in Genesis, if you would flip over to Ephesians chapter 1. So my point here is to look at this verse as an individual and thinking about God and as the great creator. Verse 3 says, Blessed be God, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And what really jumps out there is that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before this whole argument that we started tonight about when the beginning was and what he made and how he made it. And walking it through that this God chose you. <coughs> that as, a, as, a, as someone that is saved in Christ, that he chose you before all this went away. So what does that say about you? I mean, what is it? We look at his creation and how amazing it is and... But what does that show the worth of you? I hope that's what you see. I hope that's what jumps out. Is that this God is not an impersonal God. This God is not just somebody that started the, started the wheel and walked away. And just, just leaving you to just fend for yourself in this, this rock. That you see that God knew you before the foundation of the world. And also I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 11. Um, I'm going to read verse 3 for us. Hebrews 11, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And that just, just jumps off the page from here. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. And, and, and once again, if you, do, if, if you do line up and this stuff makes sense to you and things are clicking in your mind, that should, that should give you a desire to praise and worship God. Because what have you got that he hasn't given you? If it's from how you see scripture line up, um, or 
just opening your eyes to his word and even putting you in a spot to hear his word. And so that's individual, but for a body, you know, for this body of believers, for Docs of Church, what does this mean? And, and I, hope, I hope that you see this last verse and you just see that, that we should have a desire uh, to pray for those that have not been open to this reality, that God is the creator of the heavens and earth, that he has made all things, um, to know that, that not sit in an arrogant position. Or, and it's so easy when you get, there's a quote out of the, of the book we, we kind of worked on for um, community groups. There's a quote in the book that says, it's so easy when you start digging in such a, a, a specific spot in scripture and just saying there, you lose reality of souls. That you could want to see your truth and your worldview crush another truth that you think is a lie. And not think about the person that's holding on to that truth. Um, you know, for example, I mean, you know, what, what happens when, when you see the, the car roll by you with the fish sticker on it with the legs on it? You know, what, 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 is, what, what, is that, what does that do in your soul? I mean, does that break your soul for that person to know that they don't know the Creator? I mean, does that, to me, that should be like a sticker on a car saying, pray for me. You know, pray for my soul. Um, because I do not know the creator of the heavens and earth. Um, you know, what, what does that mean? I mean, are, are, are you like the one that's got the, the, the Jesus fish eating that fish? You know, I mean, that shouldn't be it. You know, I mean, that should not be our response. Um, and, and I say that in jest, but, but for leaders. I mean, that we should love these people. You know, if we got somebody in our neighborhood, we should be out mowing their lawn. They should be looking at like, what are these crazy Christians doing? You know, I mean, we should be loving these people because they are blind to the truth. Um, and so I really hope that as, as we move forward and as we continue to just try to ground ourselves as a church, that we won't lose sight of that, and no matter what, what we're, we're really digging into, uh, to hold the, the word of God strongly, um, Pray that we can rightly divide it, that he will give us wisdom and how and discernment in his word. Passion for those who don't know Jesus. Um, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, 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 do, I do pray that we will realize that you are God and we are not. And Lord, we can only see dimly what you have done so clearly. And Lord, I pray... Um, and give thanks that, that one day uh, you will make it all known to us, Lord. That we will be able to sit at your feet and for eternity be able to learn from you, Lord. On the how, but Lord, we celebrate now that we know who did it. And we pray that those in this community would come to that knowledge as well. Lord, I just pray that you would just uh, continue to stir in us, Lord, um, to chase after you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.